Okay. I, uh, I feel like I need to address a um, scandalous rumour um, that I hate Christmas. <laughs> Lauren, you're not the first person that I've heard say that. And I don't know whether it's my kids who have sort of been posting things on social media or something, but I don't hate Christmas. I, I love I love Christmas. I really do. I just hate the sacred watered down decay. international roast version of Christmas that the world thinks is Christmas. Um, Christmas is an incredible message of hope. I need to just try and fix this mic. Is that going to look all right? Okay. I'll weave it into the Christmas lights that I'll put in there next year. <laughs> One of the reasons I love Christmas so much is that of all the times of the year, it's a reminder of the type of hope that we need. Particularly this season of the lead up to Christmas, which we call Advent which is actually about a period of waiting, isn't it? A waiting with anticipation for what is going to happen. And even non-Christians, even those that don't follow Christ or have no knowledge of who he is, would agree that hope is powerful. Some of the greatest films and stories that have been told over the years through popular media, have had as their central driving theme, hope. But I wonder, how would you define hope? How would you define hope? I was trying to think through this uh, during the week, and I, I think it's easier to describe what it feels like when we have hope we describe that, we can talk about that, or maybe we can contrast that against what it's like to have no hope. But what does hope mean? How would you define hope? We could follow Peter's advice in his letter, which says that we should always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. But how would you define hope itself? 
Well, I think the passage that we're going to be looking at in Hebrews today is going to help us answer that question. And so I want to pray. I'd love you to join me in asking God to give us eyes and ears ready to hear what he has to say. Father, we are thankful for the life of this church. We thank you full for the way that you are working amongst us. And as we gather together, we realize, especially this year, what a privilege that is. And now as we gather, whether it's in person or online, as we reflect and center our thoughts and our hearts, affections towards your word, Lord, help us to hear your voice in it. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 9, I'm going to read through the end of the chapter in the Christian Standard Bible. Hebrews chapter 6, starting from verse 9. I'd love if you could follow along with me in your Bibles. pertain to salvation for God is not unjust he will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promise Through faith and perseverance. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by by something greater than themselves... And for them, a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. There's a hope in the midst of the warning that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. For the last two weeks in particular, the writer has been rebuking us and warning us, which has been a heavy combination, right? A heavy combination which has been meant to sort of try and shake us from our slumber and see the danger, in particular of placing our confidence in anything apart from the sufficiency of Christ. But that isn't where Hebrews stays. 
It's kind of felt a bit like the writer of the book of Hebrews was standing with his finger pointing at us a little bit, sort of wagging it around and shaking it at us and sort of saying, listen, wake up. That's been pretty heavy and I've needed it. I'm not sure about you. But I love that from that warning, the writer quickly softens his tone towards us and wants to encourage us. And so we get right on the tail end of some of the really harsh warnings and rebukes that he's had for us. We get this beautiful tone, this turn of phrase in verse 9 where he says, even though we are speaking this way, remember he's talking about the fact that he's just been rebuking and, and we're not growing up in Christ and we're, we're fading away and we're forgetting what the gospel has done for us. And pointing us towards back towards the sufficiency of Christ. He says, even though we've been speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and pertain to salvation. Even as a loving parent, may discipline their child. And though hard things must sometimes be spoken, here the writer speaks tenderly to us and reassures us of the hope that remains constant. The structure of the passage that we just read through is going to address a couple of key considerations. I hope, hopefully you saw it. As you read through the the repeated theme of hope. So we're going to just touch on a couple of considerations about hope. But I want to finish with what hope is. Because that's what the writer does. So here's the first thing I want you to notice. Why do we have hope? Before we even define what hope is. Why we have hope at all. No. We could go right through a survey of the Bible, answer that you know, in, a, in a huge series. But here the writer is going to just sort of focus in on just one particular reason. And he answers it by saying we, we can have hope because of the character of God. We can have hope because of who God is. And he does that in two particular ways. First in verse 10, he simply tells us, God is not unjust. God's not unjust. We live in a world where we are very cautious and very sensitive to what is justice, what is not justice. We generally are quick, aren't we, to observe things in this world where we just go, that's not just, that's not fair, maybe you might say. How do we set things right? How do we do better? How do we change systems? How do we treat one another? And the Bible is concerned for all of those things. In fact, one of the most practical books, I think, in the New Testament, the book of James, which I love, James is very quick to talk about how this works out in the life of the church. And he says, listen, if you get a couple of people who walk through the back door and they walk down and the greeters notice that one of them is... um, Smartly dressed, looks you know, a bit like Mark does this morning. Well done, mate, you dressed up really nicely today. 
Or you could come in looking like I often do, and they might just sort of go, look, I'm going to make a judgment call on that. We're going to take the well-dressed guy or the well-dressed lady, and we're going to seat them in positions of great honor. We're going to put them in prominent positions. We're going to highlight them. Or or those that really don't look um, like they're worth much in the world, they look a bit shabby, a bit rough around the edges, we'll just make sure that they get tucked away in the overflow room somewhere. And, And the writer of the book of James says that's unjust and it's not reflective of who God is. Don't do it. Yes, pretty harsh words reserved for people and churches who do. Because we are God's people and we must reflect the God that we serve and God is not unjust. God treats people and treats situations with complete equity. He he treats us not on the basis of how we are performing even, His justice goes deeper than those superficial things that we label people with. God is not unjust. He says he will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and continue to serve. God sees he is not unjust. That's his character. That's the first thing. Then in verse 13, you'll see the second aspect to God's character that the writer wants to highlight. Verse 13 and following down to about verse 18 is a little section where the writer points out, listen, not only is God not unjust, he is also trustworthy. He's trustworthy. When God says that he will, then guess what? He will. His word is to be trusted. And so we have this beautiful picture of the interplay that happened with Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, verse 13 says. This is about the trustworthiness of God and Abraham's willingness to wait on that promise. Now, we don't have time, but let me just touch on it for a little while. When God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to give you an offspring. I'm going to give you a nation. He was speaking to an old man with an old wife, neither of them having the ability to have children. Abraham, despite your circumstances, despite all the logic attached to this, despite your experience Despite what this may appear like, Abraham, this is what I will do. And Abraham said, I have no idea how that's possible. But God, I believe. Reminds you of a young girl in the hill country of Galilee, doesn't it? An angel that comes and says, O favoured one, you will bear the Christ. And she says, I've never been with a man. I have, 
It is physically impossible for me to bear this child. But let it be as your, let it be to your servant, right? As you have said. There's something about God's character that brings hope. That through the instability, through the uncertainty, we wake on a morning and check our emails or social media feeds and find that once again, COVID cases are increasing, that there are cases a little too close to home for many of us to like. It's not just somewhere else that this is happening. And in all the uncertainties and in all the the, the concerns and all the very real fears that we might hold, hope arrives when we recall the character of God, that in the middle of it all, God is present and God is not unjust and he is trustworthy. We know what he's like. That's why we can have hope. But I also want you to notice this morning that there is a connection between hope and perseverance that the writer wants to make for us this morning. The connection between hope and perseverance is a significant theme in these verses that we just read out together. I don't want you to miss it. So so again, have a look at verse 10 for a moment. Hebrews 6 verse 10. It says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints. And then I would like you to highlight and by continuing to serve them. Then skip down to verse 11 and verse 12. It says this, Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. You can highlight that. So that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherited the promise through faith, and then highlight, and perseverance. Skip down to Hebrews 6, verse 15. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. You could highlight, waited patiently. This is important to grasp. Because hope, this is important, hope not only obtains something for today, but it secures it for tomorrow as well. Hope will allow us to stand firm in the storms that are raging around us today. And it promises that should the storm still rage tomorrow, hope will not fail us. Hope is meant for us to find refuge in. Verses 17 and verse 18, have a look at them. It says, Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. 
So that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. There is a hope set before us today. This hope is a refuge to run to. A harbour to find peace in. A high tower to rest in. A shield to find security in. So the exhortation, the, the plea from the writer of the book of Hebrews is to flee for the refuge of God to find your security in. That's what he's been talking about, right? All the way through this book. That Jesus Christ, the one who is the, the fullest expression of who God is. That Remember, God has revealed himself in many ways throughout periods of time in history. Prophets and priests and all sorts of ways. But in these days, he has revealed himself to us by his son, Jesus Christ. And God is standing there and he's... Asking us, find your hope in me. I am sufficient. And here is the exhortation for us. Run to him. We must beware the false hopes that this world offers. There are many, aren't there? They seem to be customized and tailored for our own hearts and minds. To set our sights on the hope that God has offered. Who is the only sure hope that we will ever find. And so the question remains, what is hope? That's, that's how we can have hope. This unchanging nature of who God is. And we know that hope is somehow connected with perseverance... It is not just sufficient for today, but it asks us to keep having hope tomorrow and keep pushing and keep persevering. So there's there's this connection between hoping and persevering. But what is hope? Well, maybe if we read between the lines, maybe the better question to ask would be, who is hope? Who is hope? And here we have this beautiful verse that, again, it's another one of those coffee cup verses, right? Hebrews 6.19, for we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Hope is an anchor. There's a picture for us to try and illustrate. When do we need an anchor? Isn't it when we need to stand still? In the world today, if you want to go out to sea, go boating. I, I did a lot of fishing out at sea when I was a younger guy. And there were times when we were um, drifting on purpose, looking for a good spot where the fish would start to bite. Um, we didn't have all the fancy gear of depth sounders and all the rest of it to fish finders. We just drifted. When the fish started biting, 
Someone would say, chuck the anchor in. Don't lose this spot, right? That's one occasion where you might want an anchor. But it's when you want to stop drifting. You want to stay still for some reason. Or it could have been, there was one occasion I remember being out to sea a long way. We were fishing and a pretty big storm blew in. Big tidal surges and waves and all the rest of it. And we felt it was better and safer in that situation to drop anchor and try to remain where we were so we didn't get pushed further out or We need an anchor when we want to stay where we are. Isn't it when the the storm and the tides are threatening to tear us away from where we need to be, that's when we need an anchor, right? An anchor secures us in a position, immovable to the forces that might buffet us Firm in the resolve to remain and abide. And the writer says that's what hope is for. It is an anchor for the soul. But look where that anchor has entered. It says it has entered the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now this is an allusion to... Old Testament realities that the writers and the receivers of this letter would have been very familiar with. I've taken the, um, I've put some pictures up. I'm not sure they'll, they'll come up shortly. The, the temple, um, as it would have been in Jesus' day, if you go to Jerusalem today, it doesn't look like that on the Temple Mount. Right where the centre of that main structure stands is basically where the Dome of the Rock stands now in Jerusalem. But um, part of the wall still remains. It's now known as the Wailing Wall. If you've been to Jerusalem, you can stand against one of those walls um, and offer prayers. But that's how the temple would have looked when Jesus was there, they think. It's a reconstruction of it. Um, it's the temple that Herod built. Uh, there's numerous temples as you read through the Old Testament. Those of us who have been doing the Bible reading plan, we've been reading about, man, tabernacles and canvases and what colour this thread had to be. And um, that, that might be another preaching series. But eventually the tent turned into a temple, uh, a permanent structure. It got knocked down on numerous occasions. The one that Solomon built was destroyed. Um, It was rebuilt again, destroyed again, and eventually Herod built it for a third time. This is what it looked like. If you were to zoom right in, there's another picture. That internal structure, if you were to go and offer your worship and offerings at the temple, you would have only been allowed into certain places. Um, The priests would have gone up through the porch and into the main room where the altar of incense and the table of showbread were, and they would have offered their sacrificial offerings to God. But there is a a veil, a, a curtain, that was erected in that room. And behind it was a place called the Holy of Holies. Once a year, and only once a year, was a priest, and only the great high priest would he be able to enter that room? It was the place that symbolized and signified the very presence of God. 
It's where God was. If you went in there unannounced through Old Testament times, what happened? Those of you who have been reading some of that, what happened if you went into the presence of God, particularly the Holy of Holies, without the right offerings or at the wrong time? What occurred? You died. It wasn't a question of if you might die. It was a well-secured fact. If I enter there, you die. And then one entered there on our behalf. Then a great high priest came who offered himself as the sufficient sacrifice. In fact, as you read the gospel accounts and as he hung on a cross and as he breathed his last, do you remember what happened to that temple curtain? It what? It tore from top to bottom. The, the way to be in the presence of God was made available to us because we have a sacrifice which is sufficient. We have a high priest which is sufficient. And here the writer of the book of Hebrews says, we have an hope which is an anchor for the soul, and it has entered behind the veil. Do you know where your hope is anchored today? It is anchored in being in the presence of God. Without fear, because of what Christ has done. So that we might now, to quote the writer from an earlier part of this book, we may now what? Boldly approach the throne of grace. That's where our hope has entered. The inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Our hope has entered into the very presence of God and God himself has become our security. We would have only ever entered there with fear, with dread. But now we approach with boldness. Not, not because hope is just some vague desire either. Not like we've, we've mustered up enough courage to do it. I hope, you know, we say that. Gee, I hope that it's all going to work out okay. I hope that if I enter into God's presence, I don't die. That's not the sort of hope that we're talking about. Hope isn't just some sort of, you know, sort of powerful resolve, like some sort of willpower that we've mustered up even. Just sort of say, I'm going to do better this year. I'm just going to go for it. And I know that if I just hold on to it, that's not what this hope is about either. Hope isn't a thing. Hope is a person. Hope isn't an emotion even. Hope isn't just a resolve. Hope is a person. And that hope is Jesus. And I know that for, for certain because it says in verse 19 again to refresh our memory. We have this hope, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It, it's talking about our hope now, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Verse 20, Jesus has entered there. Yeah. So good. Jesus has entered there. He has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. 
Jesus is the reason hope and perseverance are connected. He has entered into the Holy of Holies on our behalf as a forerunner, making a way possible for us to lash ourselves to the assurance of God's love and God's justice. But this work of Christ is different to every other high priest that ever entered into that place because they would have had to have gone back next year and they would have had to have gone back the year after and the year after and the year after that and it was a continual coming back and a continual sacrifice but we have a great high priest who has made the sacrifice once for all time. Jesus has entered there once and he is sufficient. He's enough. He's the high priest forever without beginning or end. That's the reference to this guy Melchizedek, which we will come back to next year. Jesus is our hope and he is enough for today. He has secured it for today. But guess what? It's enough for tomorrow as well. It's enough for the weeks that follow and for the uncertainty of 2021. Remember God's unchanging character? He's not just unchust, but He's eternally trustworthy. So here's my final exhortation for you this morning and from Hebrews before we finish up this little series this year. Run to Jesus this morning. He alone is your refuge. In the midst of the storms of this life, we flee, but we flee to find an anchor in Jesus who is our only hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can find security and hope Not just in our ability to be able to sort our life out or make better choices or hopefully our circumstances will be better in the future. All of those things just fade away. We realize how unstable they are. Lord, we confess how short-sighted we are. The things that we set out to try and accomplish and do, we... We so often fail so miserably at. And for all our for all our trying to control the circumstances around us, we realize and acknowledge, Lord, that we are so out of control. And so this morning we just flee to you. Our great high priest, our hope and our anchor for today and tomorrow. We thank you for this season of Advent as we are just now on the cusp of Christmas and the light of heaven is just beginning to dawn and we see Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we flee to you. We find our hope in you. Because you are our hope. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Amen.